Hello, you're listening to the Pomerado Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for spending time with us today. If you're a weekly listener, welcome back. If this is your first time, we're so glad you're here and hope you consider subscribing. If you're in your car, on a run, doing things around the house, or working out, and want to connect even further and take next steps with us, visit pomerado.info. Now, enjoy this week's message. All right. Well, welcome, everybody. Uh, We are so glad that you were with us. Uh, Didn't Michelle do a great job on those announcement videos, by the way, or that announcement video? we are very blessed to have both Michelle and Thomas Gray on our, uh, at our church here. So uh, really, really great uh, to be able to see that. Um, and it just means that there's more faces who get to share info with you rather than me. So I think we all win uh, when that happens. So uh, welcome. We are so glad that you were here. If we've not met yet, my name is JP. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. And it's just an honor to be here with you this morning, whether you're here in person or watching online. Know that wherever you are physically today or wherever you are spiritually today, that you are deeply loved. You've been prayed for. You are cared for, you are loved, uh, far beyond what you know or what you realize. And so if you learn nothing else today, may the belovedness of God be what marinates into your heart and soul most and first and foremost. Uh, with that said, um, we are continuing through a series, The Five Thresholds, as Michelle mentioned. And what I want to do is start off with, uh, as I've been commenting over the past couple of, um, or During announcements over the past couple of weeks, we talked about the men's retreat. Well, uh, the men's retreat is this weekend, and three of our men uh, went um, from Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and three of us just went down yesterday. Um, And so we had a really good time uh, being able to learn and be able to hang out and do some activities. Uh, What I want to do is actually show you a picture of um, when we got ready to go on the zip line over at Pine Valley Bible Conference. And so uh, let's go ahead and pull up that picture, please. uh, and so I don't know why you guys are laughing already. Um, that's not nice. No, I'm just kidding. Um, and so just for the record, I know David's not wearing a helmet. He did have a helmet on um, later on, but this is just before. Um, and I share this because when you think about, oh, you're at, you're at camp, like one of the comments one of the guys made was, you know, you're at camp. You got to do a zip line if you can. Like that's just a camp thing to do. And so you say, okay, well, we're going to do that. And you, you know, you get your harness, which is way more confusing to put on than it should be. And um, and then you get your helmet and you get all ready. And when you're sitting at the picnic table watching other guys do it, it's like, oh, that looks very simple. Like, how can they be scared when they're up there, right? And yet when you go and they're like, you know, belay on and you've got, you're all belayed in, you start climbing. And the way that Pine Valleys is, is that it's a, um, a telephone pole and they have the little like steps that are locked in and the little handles. And so you're climbing up and it's one of those where, you know, you feel brave and then you feel like, like you realize like you shouldn't be maybe as scared as you feel right now, but like you are, but you don't want to play it off, especially not at a men's camp because, you know, we're macho. And so uh, you're climbing up and you get about halfway up and you keep going and like uh, you're still, I don't know, I'm always like, I just don't want to fall. I don't want to like have any issues. We're climbing up. You get to the top platform, which from the, the ground looks to be of a, a decent size from the platform itself, it feels like it's like one little tile, like in a bathroom. It's not, but it feels smaller than it really is. And so all of a sudden, they, they lock you in, they get you ready, and um, it's one of those things where people, like some of the guys were like sitting down and just kind of like letting themselves fall off. Some of them were jumping off. Some of them uh, were holding themselves up and not letting the harness do the work. They were trying to just 
um, make it work on their own. I'm not going to let you know which one I was. Um, but recognizing that then all of a sudden you're kind of up there and there's only, like, there's only two ways down. Like their way of, you know, shame, which is like crawling back down, which you know, none, of us were, none of us had to do. But then there's the way of adventure that is scary slash uh, fun, right? Like it's scary to be like, why am I on a platform in a perfectly, you know, viable opportunity to just stay where I am? Why would I jump? And yet it's in the jumping that you enjoy the ride. And so all of us did it. We all survived. Uh, we're all, we're all going to make it home today, which is great. But um, it was a really, like, it's an example of picturing something that you, you know you want to do because you're at a camp. This is what you do. Something that you get a little intimidated to do, but yet you're, you, you feel like you still have to. Something that you know that it's a little scary, but when you do it and when you make that leap, you get to enjoy the ride. As we enter into our conversation today discussing about the five thresholds, we're going we're gonna to look at how sometimes sharing our faith is something we know we ought to do, something that we get a little scared and timid doing in the midst of it. Maybe we want to bail. Maybe we want to give up. And we get to the platform, and there's only two ways we could go. We're either going to share our faith with this person or these people that we love and that we're praying for, or we're going to bail. And even though it's scary to share, it's in the sharing and it's in seeing the lives change of those we know and love most, starting to know and love Christ, it's in that that we get to enjoy the ride with them and to see how God is working. Will you join me in a word of prayer as we begin our sermon? Father, I thank you so much for each and every person who is here with us today, whether here is in person in our service, whether here is watching our online service, whether here is listening to the podcast later, Lord, everyone who hears my voice is someone who is loved by you, formed by you, created by you, and God, someone that um, you want to draw closer with and, and have a closer relationship with. So Lord, I pray that as we dive into your word this morning, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us, Lord. Help us to have the eyes and the ears and the heart to see and to receive what it is that you have for us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, as we've been mentioning, we are in a series called The Five Thresholds. If you're someone who brought your Bible with you, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you want to start uh, getting to your spot there, we'll get to that in a couple of moments. But we're in The Five Thresholds, and we've been talking about how, based on the book that, that we have, um, the, uh, the I Once Was Lost book, uh, we've been mentioning every single week uh, because InterVarsity Press has just been so great to work with uh, and allowing us to use some of their content in order to, to highlight these five thresholds. And if you're newer with us or this is your first time, uh, you're coming near the end of the series, but you're not going to miss the message because the idea that we have here is that this book was, was based on interviews of thousands of students, thousands of people who were wanting to, they, they started off having no desire to know Jesus, and then they explained their journey of how they became fully devoted followers of him. And their stories were not the same, but the thresholds or the different stages were consistent. That first, the first threshold is trusting a Christian. The second is becoming curious. The third is being open to change in, changing your life, which is one of the hardest ones. The fourth is seeking, like genuinely seeking God and truth, not curious, but seeking wholeheartedly. 
And then the fifth one was entering into the kingdom. Now, inside the book, what they're talking about, what they share is this idea that these five thresholds, they're, they're, they're a tool. They're a discernment tool. They're not meant to, it's not always a rigid process. All of us know that sometimes we have different times of growth, and sometimes we get to a certain stage or a certain threshold, and then our people we know and love might step back. They might run out of questions to not be curious, and then they, they give up for a little while. They may take a long time and then go backwards and then go forwards. And so this is not a rigid this is exactly how it's going to go without any hiccups. It's a general tool that allows us to pray through and discern how it is that we can come, across, come alongside those we know and love most so they can know and love Christ. And so with that idea said, we recognize that we are in a place where we want to do our best to come alongside people. And we want to do our best to figure out how is it that we can share Christ with them. How is it that we could go from being, when it comes to witnessing, timid, someone who's climbing the thing and know that we should be doing this, but we don't really want to be, but, you know, there's pressure. We feel like we have to. How do we go from being timid and standing on a platform and saying, I know that I should share, but it's scary to make that leap, and here I am ready to have this conversation while also not at all being ready for this conversation. But it's how do we go from being timid to being faithful to God and to who we know and love most that he's put in our lives to share the gospel with so that they can know and love Christ? So as we unpack that, again, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 5. And at the men's retreat, a men's conference this weekend, um, I went to a, uh, a workshop that talked about some evangelism. So some of the points that I have here uh, come from, well, one of the ideas that I that have here is, is something that the guy verbalized yesterday uh, that I thought was really well said. And, and it's based off of 2 Corinthians 5, which is always fun because that was a passage that I'd already planned on looking at. Um, and then you go to a conference and they're talking about it. And I'm like, hmm, I wonder if I should pay attention to what you're saying, Lord. And so we're going to talk about that uh, today. So we're going to start in uh, verse 16. Or we're going to start in verse 14. The 16 is where we're going to kind of land on, but 14, just to give the context in the slide, says this, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So the idea that because Jesus sacrificed his life and was raised to new life, that we die to ourselves and that we live for him. We don't live for just what we want anymore. We've been bought at a price and we are not our own, and that we get to live our lives following Christ. Then verse 16, well, we'll hit a little bit more. So from now on, we regard no one from just a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. And this is a verse that that um, if you've been to church before, or if you've, you may have heard it, it's a pretty well-known verse that symbolizes, or, or excuse me, it explains the idea of being a new creation, the fact that we are no longer how we once were. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how this word of like the new has come, the, the idea of this transformation is the Greek word for metamorphosis, the idea that, you know, a caterpillar goes into a chrysalis and emerges as a butterfly. There's a transformation. There's a change. There's a metamorphosis where it's not just a better worm or a better caterpillar. It's a new creation. And so in that same way, when we are in Christ, we are now new creations. We are not held back 
by those things that um, had a grasp on us before we knew Christ. We don't have to go to the same false places to find our hope and identity because we've now found it in Christ. And yes, we go, we struggle, we, we have uh, starts and stops and difficulties. So it's not, again, it's not a perfect um, order here, but it shows us that we are no longer who we once were once Christ has come into our lives, once the Holy Spirit has come into our lives and come into our hearts and made his home here. We are new creations. And so often when we think about our identity, we, we, we stop here. We say we are new creations, which is absolutely true. And it's a beautiful, beautiful part of our story. But one of the points that the pastor was making this past weekend, yesterday, was how sometimes as Christians we just stop here. So for those of you who um, are, don't follow Jesus, you're not on that journey yet, I'm going to talk to some of my Christian friends here um, and let you hear part of the conversation. But the point of this is to show that we know as people who have followed Jesus that there are times when we become comfortable being a new creation, but we don't necessarily always take the next few verses into account. That we have an identity change of who we are, which is true and valid and incredibly important, eternally important, but we don't always find ourselves enacting upon that as the next couple of verses would tend to show us. So we continue on verses 18 through 20. It says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You'll see as we look at the verse there that the idea of reconcile, reconciliation, reconciled is used several times just in these few verses. So our job as people who follow Jesus are not to be people who say, oh, I'm a new creation and I'm going to keep this new creation that Jesus has done in my life to myself. We, we don't come to follow Jesus only for our salvation. We do. We have eternal life with him and we have a, we're new creations, but we have this responsibility to help reconcile, to help bring a restoration where there once was, once was division, to bring two sides and to be the bridge in the gap, or at least to help people meet Jesus as the bridge in that gap in order to show people that we were all once lost, but we've been found in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come, we're, new self, we're a new identity, we have a new creation. But that means we have a new responsibility as well. We have a new ministry as well, the ministry of reconciliation. Now some of you know um, the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. And the idea of forgiveness is we can forgive someone if it's between us and someone else. If there's an issue we have, there can be forgiveness but reconciliation means that the relationship has been restored. We can forgive someone that maybe has hurt us in the past, maybe someone who's no longer with us, who's passed away, and we can, we can forgive them, but reconciliation may not necessarily, can't necessarily happen if they've already passed away. We can, forgiveness is this idea of we hold inside of our lives these, these 
um, things that we're not forgiving. And when we forgive someone, it's like we're taking off this barrier, or excuse me, this burden, this weight upon our shoulders that's weighed us down. Because as we've talked about before, bitterness or lack of forgiveness is like drinking the poison and waiting for the other person to die. So instead, it's this idea of saying, I have all this weight, I have all this burden, I need to forgive so-and-so for this, and this person for that, and I'm holding on to this burden that's holding me down. And when we forgive, it's we're taking off that, that thing off of our hook that's holding us down, and we put it onto Jesus' hook, because we say, I can't hold this, but Jesus, I know you can. And so we, we forgive them, we don't take that, we don't hold on to that anymore. Ideally, in a beautiful situation, then there could be a reconciliation, which means two sides have been reconciled. They've been restored in their relationship, that there is now an opportunity to have maybe even a stronger relationship because of how God has worked in our hearts. But reconciliation can't always happen, even when forgiveness does. So this ministry of reconciliation, God calls all of us as new creations, this is not be a new creation and then once you've waited six months, then you could start reconciling people. This is not saying you need to get a master's degree or start serving in the church before you start reconciling with people and reconciling people to God. This is not saying all these things you have to wait until you have all the answers, till you know every question they're going to ask, till you're perfect in your apologetics. No, it's saying you are a new creation, you have a responsibility for reconciliation to be ministers of this, to experience this calling in all of our lives so that we can share what Jesus has done in our lives to those around us so they, who were once far from God, could be brought near to God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and trusting in him as Lord and Savior. So we have this ministry of reconciliation, but what I want to do is I'm going to put this up on the slide that there's a quotation that Maybe for some of us, uh, we need to wrestle with. It says, when it comes to a witness, when it comes to witness, it can be tempting to do it the easy way. To do, do, excuse me, to do witness in a way that serves us, is comfortable for us, and meets us where we are. That we know someone needs to know Christ, and we feel comfortable witnessing in a specific way, and so therefore, we say, well, I can't witness to this person because, you know, I'm someone, maybe that you say, I'm someone who's comfortable um, building relationship with someone over a long period of time, but I, I don't know how to dive into apologetics. And maybe that's what they want. So then maybe for some of you, we think, well, if I could just get this person to talk to, you know, my pastor or a small group leader, then, then they'll be the one to reach. Well, perhaps God is stretching you to be able to grow in that area. Perhaps. And so several years, a year and a half ago, um, Two years ago, excuse me, two and a half years ago, we did a series called Share Your Styles here at the church. And in this series, we talked about how this book called Becoming a Contagious Christian by Bill Hybels and Mark Middleberg, they did a series about six different styles of evangelism. Six different ways that we've, you know, maybe some of us feel more natural in sharing our faith. So all of those can be found um, online uh, through our podcast, and those can be found. Uh, if you have any questions, you can, I'll send you the link to them if you want. But we all have these natural styles that maybe we lean towards. And so I want to unpack them because I want to acknowledge that there are different ways to reach people, and I want to point those out. So the first one is the direct style. The direct, direct style is the one where you can go and you have a conversation and you are not 
Um, you don't beat around the bush. You just, you find out that they don't know Jesus and you just share, listen, like all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And if you don't surrender your life to Jesus, like you are going to enter into a Christless eternity in hell. Like they're very direct and very confrontational. Some people, it's, it's the one that we often might see if there's people on the like street evangelism or people who they just, they just share directly. And that's a style that some people push back on, but that's a style that some people need to hear, that some people might be on the precipice and they're not sure what to do, and by being direct with them, you give them an opportunity to enter into the kingdom. Like, there are places for that to be a great and impactful style. The second one is the intellectual style or philosophical style. This one would be apologetics. This one would be, you know, so someone needs to figure out, you know, walk through the problem of evil and how can God um, send people to hell when really it's the fact that we've all fallen short and we can choose the offer to go to heaven's there with Jesus. But unpacking all the philosophical, apologetic, intellectual uh, roadblocks and walking through that with them. Uh, My previous pastor would say that there might be about 10% of people who come to Jesus this way. But that's 10% of people. That's an important way that if you are geared and wired toward loving those types of conversations, that is a viable style to reaching people, the intellectual or philosophical style. The third one is this idea of the serving style, someone who you, you serve them first, and through serving them and showing them that you care about them without sharing the gospel right away, but when you serve them, then it opens the door when they say, how are you different? You say, well, it's because of what Jesus has done in my life, that he talks about how the last shall be first, and he is the servant of all, that he actually came and didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. So I'm trying to just live like my Lord. Would you like to know him? Maybe for the fourth one, it's the idea of the testimonial style, the fact that you just share your story. I once was blind, but... Now I can see. I once was lost, but now I am found. It's the story from John 9 when the man was blind. He's like, I don't know the answers to all of your questions. The Pharisees start asking him all this stuff. He's like, I don't know. All I know, I once was blind, and now I see. It's the example we see in Mark 5 when the uh, demoniac, when the Lord just tells him, no, you're not coming with me as as a disciple, as a missionary. I'm sending you to be a missionary in your city. And all he says is, tell them how much the Lord has done for you. So he shares his testimony. And people come to find out about who Jesus is. The fifth one is the interpersonal style. This is probably a little bit more akin to what we've been talking about um, over the past several weeks. The idea that you build relationship with someone over time. And it's through doing life together and through living curiously and through answering questions and through walking through thresholds that... You do life with them, and then they end up seeing what, or experiencing eternal life through that and through your witness. And then the last one is invitational style, and that would be to invite them to uh, a church service or to a Christmas Eve or Easter or something like that. But, but even more so, it's, I feel like invitational style is almost one of those where we could say, oh yeah, I'll, I'll let the church do the work. When in reality, God has put you in the lives of the people around you. And so because of that, you are able to invite them. Yeah, you can invite them to church, but you can also invite them to be part of your life and to see how you live. Okay, so there's these six different styles. And so 
what we could do is you might be listening to those six and say, okay, yeah, I'm definitely number four, definitely not number one. Sometimes I could be six or whatever it is. But one of the points that um, I once was lost by Don Everts and Doug Shop makes, one of the points it talks about is how we are called not to minister to other people the way that we feel most comfortable, but to be what they call a servant evangelist. So a servant evangelist on the screen, here's what it says. A servant evangelist washes the feet of the non-Christian in humility and great empathy, rather than just doing evangelism in a way that the evangelist is most comfortable with. It's recognizing that we may have friends who are in different thresholds in this journey. And how are we going to reach them where they are, not where we think they ought to be, not where we want them to be, not where we're afraid they might be, where do we find out where they are and minister to them there? So let me give a couple of examples. Paul, as we read in 2 Corinthians 5, talks about how he and we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Then in 1 Corinthians 9, it's not on the screen, but in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul talks about the freedoms and the rights that he has as an apostle. And he says, I don't use those freedoms or those rights in the same way. And so what he's specifically talking about, just for a little bit of context, is the right to make a, uh, for them to, to get financial contributions uh, for him as a minister. But what he's saying is he's like, I'm, I, what I want to do, he's like, I don't want to be beholden to anyone financially so that I could be fully free to speak to them about the gospel. And so what he's talking about, he says, you know, to the Jew, I become like a Jew. To the one under the law, though I am not under the law, I become like one under the law. To the Gentile, I become like a Gentile. I become all things to all people so that by grace I may win some. Does that mean that he, he sacrifices integrity, that if a Gentile is doing something sinful, that he joins in? No. Therefore, when we're trying to reach people who don't know Jesus, we don't sin in order to build a relationship with them. We don't fall into the same way that they're living if we know it to be against what God would want. In order to say, oh, well, I'm building trust because that way they can see that, you know, I'm just like them and it's okay. We're not called to be just like everyone else. We're not caterpillars. We're new creations. But we can help people along that journey. So Paul, one, he talks about how he's not, he doesn't go and... He, um, sacrifices integrity, but what he says is, I will find something about the Jewish faith. I will connect with people who are Jewish, and I'll say, oh, you understand the concept of cleanness and uncleanness, and you think that you're, you can only be made clean through the blood of a lamb on Yom Kippur on the, on the day of atonement in Leviticus 16. Let me show you how that sacrifice has been made for you for all of eternity because of Jesus. That someone who's a Gentile, he'll find something in there and say, oh, you, you think that you could do this. Let me show you who God truly is. That he doesn't allow, or he finds how he can witness to the people where they are. And in so doing, he takes upon himself, as we ought to, the ministry of reconciling. Because of our sin, we are separated from God. Jesus is the one who bridges that gap. And we can bring people to the bridge and help them take that first step of faith. It'll be scary. But once you make that leap, that's when you get to enjoy the ride. So Paul, 
We see in 1 Corinthians 9 how he talks about this, but he does this in other areas as well. So there are times when, let's say there's the threshold of someone who's just learning to trust a Christian. And so Paul, in this example, in 1 Thessalonians 2, he talks about how, look, look at me, I, I worked for my own living. I'm not trying to make money off of sharing the gospel. So he shares about how, look at how we've lived. And if you look at how we've lived, you've seen that we're not in this for money. Therefore, you can see we're in it for Christ. So if someone's in the stage of a threshold one of just learning to trust a Christian, Paul came alongside and did it that way. Someone who was curious in, in the section of uh, Paul giving his testimony in front of King Agrippa and, King Fe- and Felix in Acts 26, they, they just wanted to hear the story. They were not looking and searching for God, but they were just interested in hearing the story. So Paul shares his entire testimony about how Jesus changed his life. And at the end of it, the King Agrippa says, Paul, do you think in such a short time you can convince me to become a Christian? Paul just says, long time or short, I pray that everyone who hears me now will be like me except for these chains. In other words, I hope that anyone who hears my testimony, who's curious and hears my testimony, would come to know Jesus. Then he goes to the one of, if people are, open a change. And he writes to them in 1 Corinthians 6, you were once this way. You were once um, having all these different lists of sins, but now you've been sanctified. You've been changed. You've been transformed. God has done a change in your life. And so now follow Christ. So he does it that way. When someone's seeking, when they're at Acts 17 at Mars Hill, which is in Athens, and there's all these people who are discussing and philosophers talking about, you know, different gods and things like that in the Greek pantheon of gods and the Roman pantheon of gods. And Paul looks and he sees that there's a, there's a testament, there's a, there's a shrine to an unknown god. And he knows that, look, you worship all these different gods. I can tell you who this god is who's unknown to you, but he's more real than all the others. Let me tell you about Jesus. That when someone's truly seeking, he's able to explain to them. See, Paul was able to discern where people were and to be a servant evangelist for where they were in their walk. Rather than just saying, I only know how to evangelize this one way. I may have a way I'm comfortable with most, but we step out of our comfort zone to help those who are far from God get brought near to God. In the same way that Jesus stepped out of heaven in order to bring us into right relationship with God the Father through him. So, we look here and the next section that I want to revisit verses 18 through 20. But this one, I want a time I want to highlight a different word. So we focused on reconciliation for a while there. But I want to look at specifically verse 20 when it talks about now we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. We are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. That the role of an ambassador in another country is to represent that country that they're from, the values the laws, the ideas, the concepts, they're supposed to represent that in a foreign land. That we are not, once we are new creations, we are not of this world anymore. This is where we are stopping by on where our home is in eternity with God. This is, this is where we have our life and we live here and we want to love people here and we do that, but this is not our home. 
This is where we spend however many years the Lord gives us on this earth, but we will have eternity with him in heaven. So right now, while we are here on earth, we are God's ambassadors. We are representing the the values and the vision and the idea and the concepts of God's kingdom in a foreign land, in a land that can be hostile, in a land that can be difficult to understand, in a land that we wish was a different way, in a land that we long for a different future. And we can pray for those things and fast for those things and long for those things, but we must remember that this is not our home. This is where we have the opportunity to share with people, to be ambassadors with people. In fact, one of the things that we, we think about what it's going to be like in heaven, again, I'm speaking to, to those of us who follow Jesus, we think about what can we do in heaven where we're going to be able to worship, we're going to be able to not just like read about what Paul was like and what he experienced, we're going to be able to hang out with him and talk to him about it. We're going to be able to see Jesus face to face and hear his voice so clearly. We're going to be able to have fellowship with one another, to eat around, uh, you know, have celebrate banquets and food, and I'm pretty sure not gain weight, which is the dream. <laughs> but recognizing we're going to be able to do all of these things. Do you know one thing that we absolutely unequivocally will not be able to do in heaven? Share Jesus with people who don't know him. Everyone there will have already had a relationship with him. While we are ambassadors here on earth, if you are still here, if God is still using you, it may just be because he's calling you to be an ambassador to those around you, that you are the one that can figure out which stage people are at, which threshold are at. You are the one that's put into your family's lives or your friend's lives or coworker, or neighbor, wherever it is. But the ones that you know and love most need to know and love Christ. And God has put you as the bridge builder. You're climbing up that totem pole and it's scary. You're standing on the platform and it feels like you should have more safety net there. It feels like it's a lot and you're not sure if you want to jump. But if you do and you share Christ and you experience what it's like to be used by him, to have someone you know and love most, to know and love Christ, you get to enjoy the ride And you get to experience life to the full. And if you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. To know that God would use you to change eternity for someone you know and love. There's nothing like it. See, we're ambassadors and we're called. Not only do we represent our kingdom's values in another place, we also need to learn about where they are and learn how to work with people and work with those from a different mindset. So with a few minutes I have remaining, I just want to talk about in this book, they ask three vital questions to, to discern where is it that those you know and love most, where are they, which threshold are they in, and how do you best come alongside them? So the book talks about these three questions. First is who is our audience? Who am I, who am I talking to here? Is it a family member that I've known for a long time and they know all of my shortcomings just like I know all of theirs? And so, you know, maybe a testimonial style may not work as well because, like, yeah, but I've seen all that you've been through. Or maybe a testimonial style will be all the more beautiful because they know where you've been and now they know where you are. 
but who is your audience or who is the person you are trying to reach? The second one is what do they need at this stage in their journey? If they're at a point where they're threshold one, they're just learning to trust a Christian and out of nowhere, you just start to go ahead and, you know, you give them like the four spiritual laws and you start saying how you're a sinner and true as it is, they're like, I don't even know if I trust you yet. And now you're just like every other Christian I've ever met and the walls get built up and the bridge or the gap becomes a little bit farther. So where are they in this stage? And then lastly, how can you help them take the next step towards Jesus? You're not trying to make them go from threshold one to threshold five in one conversation. You're not trying to, as we talked about last week, if you're driving a stick shift and you're not trying to go from first gear to fifth gear. You're, you're, you're not trying to just share everything right away. I mean, God may call you to do that, so don't say, well, God, you called me to do it, but the pastor said I shouldn't. No, 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 don't, don't, don't make that mistake. But be obedient as ambassadors. And one of the ways we can best know how to speak the language of those who don't know Jesus to learn where they are is to ask these questions. Because when we do, then we'll know which threshold they're in and how to come alongside them one threshold at a time. Because our goal is to bring them one step at a time closer to Christ. In the same way that when I pray for services this morning, it's just praying that everyone who walks through these doors is one step closer to God as they leave than they were when they first came in. Or if you're watching online, that whoever's watching is one step closer to God after they turned off the screen than they were when they first turned it on. One step at a time. One step at a time. And that's how we learn to walk with Jesus. Now, I know we've talked about how um, intimidating this can be. And, and, and what I want to share is this idea of evangelism has, has become something that is scary to many of us. And as the pastor who spoke yesterday, part of why that may be is because we remember that we're a new creation, but we've not taken on the ministry of reconciliation. We've not become ambassadors yet. So we're, we're reaping the benefits without being used by God to benefit others in that same way. But let me, let me simplify or let me paint a picture, hopefully, of what evangelism looks like. That the word in the Greek, so the, the EV comes from the idea of like you. So like it's, it's this um, uh, something that comes before the word in order to mean good, right? And so like when you go to a memorial, it's a eulogy. It's you're speaking a good word about the person who passed. So it's this prefix that talks about good. And then angelus is come from the word that means angel, which is a messenger. So an evangelist is someone who's bringing a good message. It's not someone who's standing on a corner who has to, you know, just is holding billboards or signs. It's not just someone who is sure and has to know all apologetic answers. It's someone who's bringing a good message. In fact, specifically in the Greek, the idea was of someone who found out about a battle and like was at the battle and rushed to the city to tell them what happened in the battle. There's a movie that I won't, I'll give enough of a context, you get the idea, but I won't say what it is, just in case it's spoiler alert, but you know, it's like 15 years old, so I don't feel that bad. But 
It's a movie in which there's a, a small group of people who have to, um, rebe- like, have to rebel against this, this, this machine and this, uh, this idea of someone who's holding them back. And they're trying to actually be free. And it's something where it's this final battle. And someone lays down, the main character lays down his life in order to free the people from what's going on. In fact, he lays down and he has his arms outstretched wide. And once he lays down his life, the enemy, or the, not the enemy, but the person who's there who receives a sacrifice says, it is done. And the enemy flees. And they walk out, the survivors, they walk out like, is this real? One of them says, he did it. He saved us. And then this young man, he goes, the war is over. The war's over, and he runs, and he runs into an old man. He's like, what's the problem, or what's going on? So he's like, the war is over. The war is over. And he runs, and he goes, everybody, and then everyone's grouped and huddled in because this is the last stand, and they think they're going to die, and it's the last moment. And he says, the war is over. The war is over. And the joy in his face and the celebration among the people is rapturous because he was a evangelist. He was bringing a good message. The war is over and there's celebration and joy. Friends, when we're sharing the gospel, we can worry about, I'm timid, I'm scared, I want to jump off, I'm worried about it. Friends, your job, our calling, the ministry of reconciliation as ambassadors is to let people know the war is over. Jesus paid the price. We're, we could be made right with God right now. We don't have to wait till we have everything together, because that'll never happen. We don't have to wait until certain things line up. We're evangelists who just get to share the battle is won. The battle between our sin and the, the fact that we know we are separated from God for eternity. Jesus paid that price. Battle is won, the war is over, and we can receive it. Because when we do, the joy and the celebration is rapturous. Not just here on earth when you get to celebrate with them with great joy, but when we know that the angels celebrate when a lost person repents. So friends, I want to invite you this morning into the ministry of reconciliation, to being ambassadors, into being the kind of evangelist who sees what other people need, you come alongside them, and you get to declare simply and clearly, the war's over. We were far from God. Jesus laid down his life. He paid the price for our sins. We can receive that now and experience eternal life. And when we do, we make that leap, and we get to enjoy the ride of living in God's kingdom and bringing other people with us. Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you that you are with us here, wherever here is. Lord, we thank you for the fact that you love each and every person so much. And God, I know that we talked about a lot. There were um, lists and, and different things that we're talking about from the scripture and, and really important dynamics for us to hold on to. Lord, I pray that we would Take what you have for us, Lord. And maybe for some of us, we're just going to hold on to needing to be a new creation. And we're going to take that with us today. Maybe some of us, we're taking the fact that we're called to be ministers of reconciliation. Maybe we're remembering we're ambassadors. Maybe all we need to remember 
is that we've been called to be people who bring a good message, the message that the war is over. So Lord, I pray that you would give those of us who know and love you the ability to, in speaking the truth boldly in love, come alongside we know and love most so they can know and love you as well. And I pray, Lord, that if there are people who are here or listening that don't have a relationship with you yet, I pray that they would know the war is over. That which we've been searching for, seeking for our hope and our purpose and our identity, it's you, Jesus. It's you and you alone. And may they build their lives upon the only foundation which can be laid, which is Christ Jesus. So, God, we thank you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We want to be a church where people are changed by God to change the world. If you want to partner with us in this way, you can start by doing these two things. The first, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening so you can stay connected with us and we can broaden our reach. And the second, and this might be the most important thing you do, share this message with someone you know. And as always, remember, we're prayed for, cared for, and loved. See you next time.